My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host, Era, and today I'm going to be talking to Samantha Krishna Pillay, and she's the founder, executive director, and editor-in-chief of the On Canada Project. It's a grassroots and volunteer-driven social enterprise which provides Canadians with transparent and concise information on the COVID-19 pandemic. Samantha, thank you for jumping on. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a, I feel like there's a lot of people that if they didn't hear about you maybe two, three months ago, I feel like there's a lot more people, at least in the, the Tamil community, that have kind of followed your project. So I'm excited to kind of just chat with you and um, one of the things I want to talk about before we kind of, I, we'll talk about it later, but I always like to find out, I know you, there's a certain reason why you started this project mm -hmm. and where it started and where it is now. I'm really interested to kind of hear about kind of how it's evolved and like, did you expect it to evolve that way? And we'll kind of get into that later, but I always like to start at the beginning. I'm super fascinated with how ch like childhood or like early kind of experiences help shape kind of who you are today. So let's start at the beginning. So let's talk about, you know, your upbringing. Like, tell us a bit about your family, where you grew up, and we'll go from there. Yeah, no, I love this. Um, so I am the first grandchild on both sides of the family to be born in Canada. And that wasn't something I thought a lot about um, growing up, but it is something I think about on a regular basis now. Um, very like Game of Thrones, first of my line type <laughs> mentality in my brain. Um, yeah, I, I guess my dad and my mom met here. He was a refugee. He like low-key snuck into the country. Um, and my mom immigrated here and they met and then they got married and they had me. Um, and then I was really lucky to have grow up with like both sets of grandparents within driving distance, like at all times. Um, but despite all of that, I think uh, I think I always knew we like I, no one ever really talked about like race or culture or any of that stuff in 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 that way. Like there was stuff that I was told to follow and do because like you know your mom's like you're not eating meat this week and you're like cool yeah like that's <laughs> week. Um, but I didn't really understand why and I think um, that made my brain hurt that I didn't understand why we were doing things. And I, I started this like deep rejection of everything for a little while. Um, and then at the same time, we, we grew up like my sister doesn't remember this because she's six years younger than me, but we, we, we weren't very wealthy at the beginning, like at the beginning. And now like my dad went to university, he got, like I was at his graduation. Um, uh, and then we moved to Toronto and then we'd move to Markham and now he's done like quite well for himself, but like, I forget that sometimes that there was like a period of time where they just like made things work. Uh, so I think about that a lot and how hard it would have been at that stage of their lives, um, supporting both sets of grandparents, you know, all of that stuff. It, it's something that stays in my brain quite regularly now. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I somewhere over the last like 10 years, I started unpacking my internalized racism and asking where that came from and why it's there and um, how to have a relationship with my culture and my religion and my, my ancestral like background that is like defined by me and not by other people. 
Um, and I think that's really shaped who I am. I feel like this question has gotten away from me, but in short, grew up in Mon Montreal at Scarborough and Markham, went to school at Markham, went to Middlefield Collegiate Institute, um, and then went to Western for undergrad and grad studies. No, your is answer that? is great. I, I love your answer because um, as, as a new dad, I'm always fascinated by like there's things that as a child like you they were kind of just told to me that I learned to question as I got older and you know I still like most kids and I think let go of the why question as you get older I still ask it a lot hmm. I'm a super curious person so uh, I love the fact that it sounds like you kind of went through a similar path and um, I'm fascinated by kind of when you you mentioned like you know you weren't aware of this when you were younger but you obviously like I think most first generation kind of like parents that kind of raise kids here that were immigrants you know they're they're like trying to get whatever jobs they can put put on the plate for their uh, for their kids or their family um and you know I feel like I've talked to some people that were kind of quite aware of it and um I've talked to people like yourself that weren't aware of it so like I guess that would be like I guess your parents did a good job of like not projecting whatever stress or difficulties that they were going through Onto you guys. Does that sound about right? Or I know we were definitely aware of like. Oh, others. you were okay. Okay. Like okay. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's. I think with that same sort of mindset of like, we were talking about you and I a little bit earlier about like this idea of like not being able to sit with the winds and just like hustling for the next thing. Um, that's I definitely get that from my dad. Um, so I think for him, um, he never wanted us because he didn't grow up grow up very wealthy. So here knowing that he had a good job, that he was educated and like starting to build that wealth, um, but starting from essentially nothing, right? Like he never wanted my sister and I to feel like we didn't have things. Hmm. Um, so while we didn't have everything, we, um, you know, we were very, very lucky. Like I was definitely like privileged growing up, um, hmm. but more so after I turned 10, like up hmm. until then we were a little bit more. Um, Struggling. Yeah. But I don't like, what do you remember from before 10? Like, I remember being really scared of something once and like wondering if I would die at Y2K. Like those were the, my memories from like before 10. I don't really like, I, I have some, like, I have very like certain distinct memories, but not I, when people tell me they remember things before three or four, I don't know if I believe them. I don't remember anything before the age of five, but I do remember like certain things when I was a little kid, like when I think I, I was, I think I was out late when I was like eight or nine and I didn't like, this is back before cell phones. And I think I was in the neighborhood somewhere, but I just didn't come home until like nine or 10. And I remember coming home and seeing like my parents and my siblings and like relatives, like all the friend and like, what, like what's happening, but they were looking for me and like, I got oh in so God. much trouble. So like, I feel like a lot of the things I remember as a kid is I was a bit more of a troublemaker as a kid, but I feel like I grew up and as the oldest of like four I guess I kind of grew into my role as the oldest and responsible one, but I was definitely like a troublemaker when I was younger, but uh, we talked a lot about childhood. So like, why don't we jump right into uh, our conversation around the On Canada project? I'm really curious about kind of, you know, you started off in a more traditional career path and then you kind of started this, I guess, obviously at the beginning of the pandemic around there. So what made you decide to start this? I'm going to call it social enterprise. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And then like, how did you come up with the name? So this just tell me all about it. 
Yeah. So I think like to rewind a little bit to really know the story, because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, I'd have to start with like, um, I've never really been satisfied with anything I've done. Like not in terms of like a perfectionist, although I did have that for quite a bit, but like um, more so in just being like, this isn't enough of what I want to be doing. Like I would uh, do student advocacy work, but it was moving too slowly. So I was an elected official, worked full-time for a year at my university and like advocating for student issues, but it wasn't moving fast enough or it wasn't seeing the results I wanted. And it was so political. And there was like all these old things that you had to follow. Um, or when I worked in nonprofits, I really enjoyed it. But again, um, it felt like there was this, like, you weren't allowed to say certain things because of funding. And it just, it didn't feel right. There was always this feeling of like, these things I enjoy, but they, nothing is fitting together in that for perfect uniqueness that is me. Um, and I, I feel like that's probably true for most people uh, because we're very, like there's no one else in the world exactly like me um, or you or anyone else. So it's weird that we take, we work, go and work in jobs that are curated around a certain type of person when no one is fully going to ever, like it's, you're not going to perfectly fit into that space that they've molded for you because you're like, you're so unique. You're like a snowflake. Like you're just so, so I think I always had this feeling of, I have all these weird interests and I would love to do something that brought them together. But I had sort of accepted that like, I'd have to pick the one that would be the most lucrative and go after that one. So like, don't drop out of school and try to be a writer for Saturday Night Live do stay on the path to maybe end up being the CEO of a hospital. Like those were the options that I was sort of laying out in front of me. And at the same time, I think I was doing a lot of healing personally and spiritually from both internalized racism, which I think like, I'm so grateful to have had a jump start on that journey for the last five years. Um, but also like mental health wise, I, you know, took three or three, three, two or three years, like everything blends together now mm-hmm. to focus on my mental health. And like, I did that full time for a little bit, uh, cause I was not doing well and I had to heal and in fixing those parts of myself, um, it made me more confident with the person I am. Um, and then from that moment forward, there's this like understanding of like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say this in a way that sounds like really like arrogant or cocky, but like a feeling of like, if you survive through all this crap, your life is worth something. So do something with it. Um, And like this feeling of like, I can be great if I just pursue something Um, and, and, and I hold on to it and I'm passionate about it and I run after it. So I think all of that was happening in the background went back, finished my undergrad uh, at school and then started a master's because I thought that that was the path to take to greatness. Um, And then the pandemic hit and I started what was then the On COVID-19 project in June of 2020. And my hope was I could bring a conversational and compassionate tone to talking about the pandemic in the same way that if it was an economic crisis, someone would, I would hope, like plainly explain to me what's going on. Um, and I felt like this is something I could help with because I studied all of this stuff in school and I was genuinely interested in health and like the health sector. Um, and this was like, you know, they were saying like, you know, stronger together in this together, all of that stuff. Like 
I was like, yeah, like I, this is my thing. I can help. If we were going to war, I would not be great for it because like, I have no upper body strength, would not be able to go to war and fight the fight for this country. Like not my, not my thing, but I can make Instagram posts that explain the pandemic in a simple way. And I can do it with like passion and like grit. And, um, that's, that was like, I was like, cool, I'm going to do this. So that's how the project sort of started. I think I understood that I couldn't do it alone. It would be too hard to try to do alone slash I tried it alone and I burnt out. So I recruited volunteers to help me. Um, and I did, I was like, I don't like traditional public health messaging because it's really vague uh, and very like, you know, it doesn't explain the why behind stuff. Like you can tell me that I have to isolate in my home um, like when inside my house, if I, if I get COVID, but if you don't explain why I have to do that, then people are going to look for loopholes to like get around going around the house. Right. So you have to, like, if your goal is to get people through the pandemic, you've got to explain it in a way that is warm, compassionate, conversational, and easy to understand. And I wasn't seeing that in any other messaging. So I started to do that. And I started to invite friends to do that. And I already felt like I was breaking like boxes. I was like, this was a public health messaging box and I'm going to punch out of it. And like, this is what I'm going to do. And then at the same time, um, George Floyd was murdered. And there was this like racial awakening that really changed how people spoke about race globally um, and processed it and thought about it. Uh, I was seeing conversations with people that I have a lot of love for and respect for that didn't understand how messed up the systems were um, that like upheld white supremacy and um, police brutality and anti-black racism and everything, you know, like no one has plainly and compassionately explained any of this. Um, And without that, like, plain and compassionate invite into the conversation how can we expect expect people to like fight this fight with us um so some the on Canada project and that we would start talking about issues that predate the pandemic but also would exist after the pandemic so bridging information gaps became the focus and that's sort of where that's sort of why we we switched it into the On Canada project. Yeah, I noticed that because I, 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 whatever it was when I first heard of your project, I thought it was all around COVID-19. And then I started seeing a bit more topics around like the things you mentioned or like, you know, political things are happening. I think the election mm-hmm. or something around the election, I think in the, in the U.S. with like the Georgia runoffs and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, as I was like, I was like, it was cool, but I guess I was trying to figure out exactly what you're doing. I guess um, what your niche was, but I guess this kind of makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Nobody. That's right, Nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. So do you see like plans to kind of stay within kind of these specific topics as you kind of continue to grow the On Canada project? Or do you see yourself continuing to kind of expand to different like other areas outside of these topics or like you know this box you kind of defined for yourself yeah I mean I would say that I didn't I haven't defined a box for myself I've just like I'm playing in a space and I might play in another space later Hmm. um I've 
somewhere along my mid twenties, when I was doing that healing of mental health stuff, I was like, you're done with plans. You're not making any hard plans anymore. Those are not going to be a thing. Um, so I don't really have a plan, but I do have intention and I do have purpose behind what I'm doing. And I have to trust that I do it for the right reasons and stay truthful to the values of the project of myself and the people I'm working with. But I think like the long-term goal is to be a contextualizer of issues. America has a lot of those, you know, when, when um, there's like a, like the, you can go, you can find alternative media sources that like break down the electoral college, you know, but in Canada, you have people who just don't know who their like member of parliament is. Like we haven't even gotten to that level yet. And without the context understanding, you can't hold these people accountable for the job that they are paid to do. Um, and I'm very aware of how privileged it is to be born and raised in a country like Canada. That doesn't mean that that gratitude takes away from wanting this country to be better. So if I want this country to be better, I'm not gonna be able to do that alone. That's impossible. I'm like, there's no, like, that's not happening. I need more people to be the right level of fired up around these issues to find the piece that they wanna do. Um, so like that, there's that quote, like no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Like what is your something? Because this project is mine. Um, and I want people to find their unique something of, and make this country and the world a little bit better uh, than when they found it. So this project obviously seems like, you know, it takes up a lot of time, especially you talked about recruiting volunteers and making sure that, you know, uh, you know, managing people is not my thing. So like, I know you from what I've seen you kind of create here, you have a lot of people behind the scenes that are kind of helping you with driving this mission forward. How are you, are you, I guess, is this a project you're focusing on full time? And if so, like, is the On Canada project self-funded through grants? Like, how did you kind of get everything kind of going and sustainable? Yeah, um, great question. So giant team. Um, at our at the height of the pandemic, we had about 170 volunteers, wow. um, all between the ages of 18 and 35, um, just like ready to be part of the change. And as things have started to reopen and people's lives have gone back to normal a little bit, like of course people come and go from your life, and same way with the project. Um, but as like a side tidbit, the thing that I've noticed is that we've retained most of our like. BIPOC talent stay with us because collectively we all feel as people of color on the project, the safety of the organization and like the like feeling seen, feeling valued, feeling part of something bigger. Um, I've had black teammates and um, indigenous teammates like tell me that they've never felt the safe in an environment where they didn't have to code switch. So it feels like if we can create a space like this, it's something worth holding on to, which was the first inclination of like, okay, this maybe should be more than just a passion project. Um, was like, if if I'm able to create a space where people are radically themselves, then let's keep it around. Why would we get rid of this? So that was the sort of first step in terms of- um, Sorry, before you go on, maybe explain code switch because I know some people oh. listening might not be familiar with that term. Yeah, absolutely. So code switching is like the voice you put on when you um, answer a Rogers phone call. <laughs> and you, right? Like, 
Um, and you, or like you call Rogers and you want them to take you seriously. So you like, that's a better way of doing that. Cause sometimes I pretend I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> fast, but, um, like it's, it's your white voice. It's like the voice you use around white people, um, or dominant culture is like what people say, but like white people and, um, you know, you, you, it's, it's a form of like protection of yourself. Cause if you're authentically yourself, you might be discriminated against intentionally, unintentionally, there may be like a, like a bias held against you. People might make assumptions about you and your culture. So you show up, um, and, and you, and you, you try to be neutral and you just try, sort of try to fit in. And I think I hate that idea now. Like, I think for so long, I tried to do that. And a lot of people with internalized racism, that's like, like you, you spend your whole life trying to fit in um, so that you don't stick out so that you can be successful because whiteness is what we mentally have connected with success. Cause that's where we, that's how we see it, like the world and everything. So um, yeah, not having a code switch means just authentically being yourself in a space and having, being able to do that actually like allows you to perform better, at least like on our team, we've identified that because when you're like, I think about my time in nonprofits and stuff where I'm so busy trying to put on a, like a version of me that I think is palpable to like the person I'm with that, that energy I could be putting towards like my work, but instead I've put it towards like maintaining face so I can keep my job and doing work. But the moment, the only thing you have to do is care about your job, which is how most white people show up. You're able to thrive. Like it is magic working like that. And I think that's what our team has really started to enjoy is this feeling of like, you just get to show up and be you. Um, We're not here to fit in. We're never like, what is fit in? Like, that's just silly. Um, I'm, I'm here to thrive for as long as I live. Like, that's what I want. I don't want to try to survive and fit in. So um, knowing that we had created this safe space, uh, how do we, how do we keep doing it? Um, so your question was about like, how are we getting funding? So we were going to do like a pitch deck and try to get investors. Um, but then most of the advice we received was that we are naturally marketing our product of like compassionate communication and, uh, copywriting and like comms related things through an Instagram account with 130,000 followers that's verified that had the prime minister on it that has friends with like kind of friends with Ryan Reynolds it's my I saw that I saw that today (laughs) (laughs) um like we already have that going for us so when you have that sort of reach do you need to give up a piece of what you own in order to do it or can you like give it a go on your own and then see what happens next so right now we are still predominantly volunteer run um but given like we only started doing like taking on clients and doing business work since like July and we've already made like a substantial amount of money from that so like we've had we've had like big clients like kids help phone came to us for a major contract uh Sidley Maple Leaf Foods Google News Initiative so slowly and steadily these like people are coming to us we haven't even started outreach to be like we're open for you to come here they've just went on our web page found out about us and joined so um we're going to give it maybe another year or another six months of like seeing what we're able to do like this while owning it all ourselves um before 
looking into whether or not there should be investors, whether we should, um, yeah, what, it, what, what comes next? Um, I do know that, like, so we're not a nonprofit, we are a for-profit organization, uh, because I think sometimes with nonprofits, there's like this like neutrality of language you have to use. And I'm just so tired with like saying what I think other people need me to hear. Like, I just want to say what I want to say. If I want to like make fun of the premier of Ontario, I'm going to do it. Like, I don't want <laughs> someone to be like, you got to be nonpartisan. I'm going to be like, shut up. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So I guess you're able to focus on this full time because like, first of all, you kicked it off and like you spent a lot of your time and energy and obviously getting volunteers to help you as well. And now you've got customers, which you haven't even had to go after. They're coming to you because of the great job you've done kind of running your initiative or your project. So yeah. um, that's cool. So I guess you're, I guess, depending on how things go, eventually you'll raise money or look at that possibility of raising money to, you know, grow the team, grow your impact and things like that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and then I think I'm also really lucky to be living in my childhood. This is my childhood bedroom behind me. Um, so during the pandemic, I moved back in. So I don't have a lot of expenses because I'm living. So it's like, when in my life am I going to be like this again? To live in my parents' house for free, occasionally mop the floor for them and like, <laughs> take the garbage out. And then as a result, get to work on a business, you know, like, what we lack in generational wealth, we make up for, for with the culture of like, we take care of our kids in our own. So um, yeah, let's see what we can do. And I, I mean, like, yeah. Uh, that's for me, I, I stress to everyone um, because like when I started like my business and just other things I've done, keep your overhead as low as possible for as long as you can, even as you kind of have to like, say you have to like move out or like there's ways to, if you really want to do something, keep your overhead low so you can take that risk. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like, um, like I'm a big fan of like FIRE, it's like financial independent retire early movement of kind of simplify your expenses, save, invest so that at some point, you know, financially independent, like people think it's all about the money, but I think it's something you touched on earlier, which is why you're doing this. Like you're not in traditional nonprofit or, you know, mm -hmm. you're not, like all that stuff, because you're restricted in kind of terms of what you say, how you message, what you do. So I feel like with financial freedom, if you have things that are kind of outside the system that pay for your living expenses, um, you're free to kind of choose and say and do whatever you want. Like there's, that's why there's certain people in the world, like you know, Joe Rogan's and others like that, that, you know, right or wrong, they created a certain amount of wealth or financial freedom for themselves that they say whatever the, like, the hell they want. Like Elon Musk all the time says whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> um, so there, there is something to that. I feel like people overlook the money aspect of being able to do what you want, like from a career or like, you know, uh, whatever you're passionate about. So thank you for sharing that. Um, obviously you are, you and your team are quite kind of uh, experts with social media, obviously. That's where kind of a lot of your um, value is um, as an organization. How, were you surprised at how fast you got from, you know, starting the account to now 130,000 followers Plus you're verified, which is pretty cool. Yeah, the verified thing was admittedly one of our cooler moments. Um, yeah, I don't like on a daily basis, I'm shocked at what my life is. I think um, like I, I don't I don't even think I wanted to be doing this for the first six months of doing it. Like I was like, I'm not doing this forever. I'm going to do it for as long as the pandemic needs me to and I'm out. Um, so I'm still in shock that 
I'm still doing this and that the project is growing and that people are still, it's still resonating with people that like people like you want to talk to me, like, what the heck do I know to talk about anything? I'm, I'm, I have been winging it for a year and like leaning in on like gut instinct, um, intuition and a trust of like, um, if I work hard enough, it'll pay off type of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, it's been wild. I'm, I'm shocked. I am very shocked. I'm curious about, um, you mentioned you don't like to make plans. Um, I'm, I would love to unpack that, whatever you're comfortable sharing, like why <laughs> you don't like to make plans. Why I don't like to make plans. No, I don't think that's true. I like planning. I just don't like setting um, a time restriction around it. So I think I'm 30 now. I live in my parents' house. I'm single. Uh, according to my um, like journal and diaries from when I was 16, I was supposed to be married and like in a mansion and <laughs> like, like, you know, like just all these. So like I've given up on like a timeline, um, but I would say I do plan. I, I am a, like, I'm a hardcore planner. I just, um, my dates are, a, a lot more flexible than they used to be. Got it. Uh, I'm not like if it's, it's just like, like, who am I to tell the universe when things should happen to me? Um, but I can work towards it and see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, like I, I do know where I want this project to go. I know what I want to make for my life. I know what I want the world to look like. Um, I know what I want to do for my parents, um, for my sister. Like I've got all that figured out. It's just, uh, it's just like, I guess I'm just waiting on the universe to be like, cool. Yeah. Let's like press go on this file and let her <laughs> run after it. Did you know that every time you left a five out of five review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts. Okay. That's probably not true, but if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review, do it for the young creative in you. Um, I guess I'll phrase my next question accordingly. But where do you see this project? Let's not put a timeline on it, but let's just say between five to ten years in the long term, like in the in the horizon. Like where do you see this project? Where do you see yourself? Like, do you see yourself doing this project for the next five, ten years? Do you see like yeah? Yeah. Um I wanna continue I wanna scale. So there are three sort of aspects to our project. There's the content and media that we create, there's the collective, which is our consulting agency, and then there's our community which is the people that, and the community is a part of both of these spaces. Um, I would like to grow all of those. I think our content side, um, there are uh, like the, the need or the looks, like people are looking for alternative media in a way that they haven't before. How does On Canada Project become that alternative media uh, in particular for Canadians, but also um, like BIPOC and marginalized Canadians? Um, how do we have our media and like the news that we're consuming contextualized so that we're able to mobilize people to take action. So when you hear a story like the water in Nunavut is not, has fuel in it, um, that we, you now have next steps on taking action with that. Who, who do you contact? What do you do? How do you, how can you make a difference? Um, so not just news for the purpose of storytelling, but news for the purpose of taking action. That I think is um, what I'd like to do. I'd like to see that happen in as many ways as possible. 
Vice, Vox, and Axios all have TV shows. I don't see why on Canada Project couldn't have their own show. Um, podcasts, newsletters, all of that. I want it to take up space loudly uh, and compassionately. For our collective, we'd like to build um, a network of, you know, millennials and Gen Z have been forced into like the gig economy um, just through contract work. So how do we put power back into the, the people who are doing gig work? Um, how do we help them negotiate their contracts? How do we give them jobs that are value aligned? Um, and how do we help them build a business for themselves that so they're able to like market what their skills are sort of like a coaching thing, but from a community and reciprocal learning way of going about it rather than um, like a traditional cohort styled like thing. Uh, Cause I always say to our team, like I have as much to learn from a first year in university who's volunteering with our project as they do from me. Like what is age and time and what you've studied? Like everyone has something to bring to the table. It's just a matter of making sure you hear them and listen to them. Um, and then our community, and this is like, this like is in so many different ways, but like, how do we just create this like unsubscribe group of people who have unsubscribed from white supremacy? And how do we get these people to exist in solidarity with each other? My like example that I always use is that there are like influencers who will talk about like the farmers protest in um, India, but not talk about Palestine and not talk about Tamils in Sri Lanka. Like these are, they're, they're all parts, like they're all like the result of white supremacy, capitalism, the patriarchy, like all these things, but we're fighting them in silos rather than coming together and being like, we need to end white supremacy. Um, and in order to do that, you need to approach it as a community. It's not gonna work. Look for how, like how long did black people scream at the top of their lungs that they deserve racial justice, right? It took a pandemic um, and the standstill nature of it, as well as people speaking up and like joining them in protest and joining them in taking action to create a shift in our collective awareness. Um, that's what we need. We need solidarity or we're not going to get anything done. So we need to stop fighting these fights alone and we have to start going after it. And I think I like, I want to start that with people of color because no one should get it better than us. Um, when you hear the story of someone who's like experienced adversity immigrating to Canada or get, like uh, like leaving their home country, it's not too different from what my parents experienced during the riots in Sri Lanka. You know, I, I mean, like it's not the same, but it's not too different either. Um, and how do we exist in solidarity rather than like let shit divide us? Yeah, you make an interesting comment about, well, I think you're kind of also saying this, like everything is connected. So I think it was Channel 4, I think it was the BBC channel that had this really interesting skit slash, I guess, commercial. And in it, there's like an immigrant, I think he's Middle Eastern, he's waiting to collect some kind of stipend or something from the government, like a line. And then uh, he makes some kind of comment, somebody who's like, I guess, British, like white British, says something. Uh, like I guess about his complaint and then he offered to give him money but then there was like a war veteran that was like two people behind that kind of interceded and he basically made this comment like after standing up for him saying the reason you're here is the reason I was in I don't know I forgot which world war world war II. like the reason mm -hmm. I was there is part of the reason why you're here today so we're all kind of kind of connected so 
Um, I had another question as well, and this might be like totally unrelated to anything you do, but because you mentioned a lot about kind of white supremacy. So I feel like there's so much awareness around kind of power dynamics, white supremacy, kind of the systematic things that are kind of the reasons for why there's so much, um, you know, discrimination, income, income discrepancies and all that stuff. But at the same time, you also hear of kind of this, the rise of like far right nationalism in a lot of different countries across the world. How do you think the two are kind of connected? Um, or is do you think there's no connection between those two? Because I, I, I do understand there's more people involved in the fight, but I feel like there's just kind of more divide now. Before, if there was racism or kind of how people viewed each other is very subtle, especially in Canada, like racism is very subtle here for the most part. But oh. I feel like now you're seeing more and more kind of obvious far right nationalist, you know, sentiments kind of increasing worldwide. So how do you kind of explain that? Well, two things. One, to say racism is subtle in Canada is actually a privilege. It means people yes. like you and I haven't experienced racism in the same way that an Indigenous or Black yes. person would. Um, so there's that. But the other component is, I honestly, so I, I think there is this giant divide, right? I do think that there's this like growing gap. Um, I do think that the people who are wildly wealthy um are in it for different reasons than we are like squid games is a weird uh way of looking into that to be like this is sport for them and something that we would never think to find as sport but like it was for for like the wealthiest wealthy folk um and that means that everyone who isn't that level of wealth should be on the same team because it just doesn't make sense that we're like anyways but I don't actually think that the divide is a 50-50 split. I think there's like people on one end who are loudly protesting inequities and then people on one end who are loudly protest, like saying that like QAnon is God or, or whatever the QAnon people are saying. I'm not actually sure I don't follow it. The middle group is just neutral. They, they feel things. They know that one way is more aligned with them than others, but they're too scared to take a, a stance and take a, like, to take a step in that direction. That's what I think is missing here. And I think the moment that group of middle people who it's a privilege to not take a stance, first of all, but for that middle group, if for as long as they stay that neutral, like this weird neutral level thing, um, it's going to continue to be this giant divide or it's going to continue to feel like that because there's like a silent majority in the middle that by being silent are making it seem like it's an even split, but it's not. Um, I honestly believe the vast majority of those people are good. Um, what they're lacking is um, information that invites them into a conversation, uh, action steps that make them feel like there are solutions to these big giant issues. Um, and like a no judgment safe zone of like joining it. Like we're not expecting someone who starts to give a crap about these things tomorrow to have the same knowledge base as someone who's been fighting these fights for 30 years. Like it, that's not going to happen. So you've just got to welcome people on wherever they are in the journey and just be like, come on, let's all move this way. Um, I do think the vast majority of those people in the middle would fall on the left side of these ideologies um, and like believe in human rights. I just don't think they're ready to come out of that space yet. So um, I hope that content like what we're creating invites them into it. 
you talked about the important step of inviting people to conversation. I feel like that's like a lost art form. I feel like in today's climate, it's like you either agree or disagree. And if you disagree, you're kind of just in two different camps. There's like no middle ground. Typically, I'm just generalizing. But I feel like just generally kind of seeing conversations, it's like you either agree or disagree. But, you know, if somebody asked me, I'm trying to think of a question, but like I could agree for the most part with somebody, but I could also see why somebody thinks that way. But if I say that, it's like, oh, you agree with, for example, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. I, I don't agree with anything he says, but just hypothetically, if I admired something about him, like, for example, he's a great marketer for, you can say all you want to say about him in terms of politician, all that stuff. But if I made a comment like, oh, you know what, Donald Trump, he's a great marketer. He's a terrible human being, but a great marketer. I feel like there would be, in, in today's climate, it's like they would focus on that conversation versus all the other things and inviting, just having, inviting people to have conversation and allowing them to kind of disagree in a safe space. But I guess you're trying to change that or be part of the change um, towards that kind of movement or am I? I mean, I, um, I'm obviously very left-leaning in my beliefs and I have this like radical notion that human rights should be valued. So like, um, I think, but I also am aware that like there's this moral superior superiority in the left that like makes it impossible to like welcome people in. And that really is going to be like one of the biggest challenges isn't the right, like the rights, um, all right folk. It's actually ourselves on the left fighting and being like, but I'm more woke. No, I'm more woke. No, you're more. like, why are we doing that? shouldn't we just be grateful that people are joining the fight and be like, cool, let's just help each other understand these things better and like fight them alongside each other. And you're an expert in this issue. And I'm an expert in this issue. We can either find the intersexuality between it and fight together, or we can just fight alongside each other, but not talk to each other. But why do we got to all like agree on the same exact things? Um, you should just, I don't know. I just, I, I think that it's really toxic that, there's a part of being on like like when you tell people you're a social justice warrior there's this like oh you're never gonna be able to have a conversation with that person like I to this day I get people go I was hanging out at friends and then they go wait but like we're all vaccinated Sam don't worry like everything's fine I'm like girl I don't care like you're an adult I've given you the information do what you want like don't this moral superiority of the left of like we're policing each other it doesn't make sense to me but yeah no I don't I just I think that if you're unable to invite someone into a conversation about an issue you care about, then you're too close to that issue and you need to find someone who can help you invite people in because you're doing more harm to it than you are good. Um, And there has to be different levels of people. You need the people who are so outraged, but you also need the people that are able to like find the like denominator that connects us all and invite people into those conversations because otherwise you're in a silo fighting a fight by yourself. So would you... So would you ever sit down at a table with somebody from the far right, like the worst of the worst? Would no? Wouldn't. But I'm not, I'm not trying to convince the far right to be my friend. Mm. I'm trying to convince the middle. I would sit down with the middle. Mm. And and so, this is just more out of curiosity. Why wouldn't you sit down with somebody from the far right? Protect my mental health. Good answer. Okay. Um, so now I to switch. To sorry, go ahead. I just, sorry, I feel like um, I just know what I'm like. There may be someone out there who can have that conversation successfully, I would be doing no favors 
having a conversation with someone from the alt-right and then I would leave crying and like I don't cry cute like there's some women out there who can cry very adorably I'm like I'm a like really like sob loudly lose my voice for a few days type of crier so that's just not helpful to anybody um I also think that like we all have to do our piece and my piece is going to be the middle I can't I'm the alt-right's on their own so self-awareness you you kind of know where you where you excel Money can be hard to come by, but here is a $100 opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win $100 when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? You know, speaking of friends as well, like along this kind of journey of creating your this project and initiative, um, have you ever been kind of questioner, I guess, criticized kind of about your career choices? Like, you know, you talked about what you aspired to when you were younger and kind of that path that was not predetermined, but kind of encouraged. But what Mm -hmm. you're doing now is obviously different from that. So have you ever been questioned or criticized by people around in your support system about what you're doing or like that you could be doing more or something different? Not really. I think if anything, most people like, to be honest, like I, I care what my friends think, but like as any good, you know, Tamil daughter, really, I was concerned about my parents. (laughs) I was just like, what are they going to say? But I think, um, both of them were really on board with the work that I was doing from the jump. And I think it helped that they had like articles to send the aunties to keep them at bay. (laughs) Um, And then the prime minister was on our Instagram. So then they were like, my daughter has made it. It's fine that she doesn't have a traditional career path. She spoke to the prime minister, like, um, which they made a bigger deal of than I did, but yeah. Um, They weren't weren't impressed with Ryan Reynolds being your sort of kind of friend. My dad straight up went, who is Ryan Reynolds? Because my sister in the family group chat was like, oh my God, Ryan Reynolds followed you on Twitter. And I was like, I know, I'm like, this is crazy. And and my dad was like, who is this person? Like, who is, why are they, why aren't you, why didn't anyone tell us? Who is it? And like, neither one of them have seen a Ryan Reynolds movie. Like, they don't know who he is, why he's important. It's just, it was fine. Very humbling. Um, But yeah, no, uh, Friends, I think most of my, I don't think any of my friends have ever seen me as like happy as I am doing this work. So I think, um, I think uh, no one, no one has said anything about that either. Um, yeah. Now, I, again, because I know you don't like putting timelines, but it's not really a timeline here. But in terms of like personal legacy, in a few sentences, how would you want to be remembered by friends and family? I'd like to be remembered as someone, um, hmm, I think I want to leave the world better than I found it. I want to, I want to have left some sort of legacy. Um, again, like that sort of like first grandchild, first of my name, born in this land, all of that. I think about that a lot. Like, um, I like, this is the beginning of a, of a family history, family history, you know, um, in a way that like, we don't really have the, records kept in a way that we do in today's day from like Sri Lanka there, we don't have any of that stuff here so this is sort of like the beginning of that story and I'm very aware of that I'd like for my family to amount enough generational wealth that the next generation of people are able to um you know everything that you and I spoke about you know have be able to pursue what feels right rather than what like rather than try to survive they're able to thrive um that's what I want for my family. For the world, I want to know that 
um, the way that we talk about sticky subjects has changed and that we brought back this like invite people into conversations and the mobilizing of like not playing this like neutral game because you can't be neutral around human rights like that's not a thing and um how do we encourage more people to see that and understand that you've got to just take a stand and that that silence is like violent towards the issues actually people actually being affected by these like human rights violations um apathy is dangerous basically yeah it is and i think especially especially when it's um when you don't even notice it like when you, it's like it's not even apathy like you've chosen to step out of it but you literally just don't engage at all and you're not paying like i unsubscribed from donald trump when i started the project stopped watching him stopped doing anything i knew he was still being like a nut but i was just like for my own well-being i've got to unsubscribe from this it, like i can't do this and the project at the same time but i still knew it was happening but then there are people who like live in this country and because our country didn't do a great job of educating us on our political systems and all that um, they just don't know what's going on. So it's like, it's not even a choice of apathy. It's literally just like not knowing what's going on um, as people make decisions about our lives, our futures and our planet. Like, so I wanna know that we started to talk and engage as active citizens, that we are um, stepping into discomfort with like, with a willingness to learn and do better. And um yeah, I think that's basically it. I just want to be someone that is worth remembering. And on the flip side, you get to go in a time machine, visit 16-year-old Samantha. What would you tell her? Go to therapy. <laughs> she went at 18. So she went, she went, but like every year, um, every year that I could have gone, I wish I had gone. Um, go to therapy and uh because I think through therapy, I started to love myself. And I don't think I'd be able to do any of this work today if I didn't believe in myself or love myself. Um, so if there's someone listening to this that doesn't feel like they can say with full confidence that they love themselves and champion themselves and are kind of like their own best friend. Like I have real friends, like I have human friends and I have a dog, he's also my friend, but like I am also my own best friend. So if you can't say that for yourself, ask yourself why and explore um, therapy or like support in some way, because you're probably really great and you should be able to say that about yourself, that you love yourself and you champion yourself. And that's kind of a good way to segue into the final part of our podcast today, uh, which is a, a segment I like to call Creator Confessions. It's basically a fun speed round. I want to say a bunch of statements and you just tell me the first answer that pops into mind. Okay. All right. Favorite Tamil food? Kotharati. Uh, something that scares you? Clowns. Insecurity that you have? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, 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 mediocrity. Um, favorite TV show you're watching? Oh, succession. Let's talk about that show. Okay. Uh, a place you're itching to travel to after this pandemic is over? Sri Lanka. I've never been. A fellow Tamil creator you want to give a shout out to? Oof. Oh my gosh. I, uh, he started the Tamil comedy club in London. 
his name is on the tip of my tongue and I can't remember. I just think he's so brilliant. And I can't remember. Deshan? Is it Deshan? No, uh, it starts with an S. I literally am so obsessed with him. I think he's so funny. And I I just have like this family thing of never remembering people's names. Me too. So hopefully somebody listening to this can tell us. Yeah. Um, Favorite childhood memory? Uh, my grandmother passed away last year. So any memory I have with her in my head is my favorite memory. Um, yeah. Something you like to do for fun outside of work. I really enjoy work. Um, I think uh, anytime I get to be in a big group of people just that I feel safe with and like playing board games, uh, like sharing a bottle of wine, hanging out, dancing, um, trying something new. Feels like awesome. a life, but yeah. Um, what, what's a purchase you've made or you splurged on your definition of whatever splurging is in the last few years that you have no regret about? No regret about. Um, I splurged and bought a dog. Like, I don't know, does that count? That counts. Um, and I've seen a lot of posts with him, so I know that obviously you're very happy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, pet peeve. Um, People who know better, but don't do better. Um, If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, a regret that you would have. Never truly being in love, I think. Celebrity whose life you want to experience for just one day. Anyone with access to an old building that I could see secret passageways and stuff through. So like... Like, like, like a, someone who lives in the White House that like, you know, you, there's probably like doors and things that the public doesn't have access to or like the Vatican that you like has like access to like these weird rooms that no, the public isn't allowed in. Um, it's so funny that you made that comment because I'm obsessed with secret passageways. I looked at yeah. companies like five or 10 years down the line, if I had like a dream home or dream place. I would have at least one or two secret passages. Must, right? Otherwise, yeah. what's the point? Just like a normal house? <laughs> like, you know, play like three keys and it opens up like a bookcase. It right. leads down here. So I'm obsessed That's with That's what you want to do is see a bunch of those. Yeah. Like any of the, any, like I'm obsessed with mystery shows. So like Sherlock Holmes. I watch yeah. stuff from my childhood. Like I just, I think uh, the Hardy Boys just came out of Netflix. So like yeah, yeah. I, I watched that and like they had a secret passageway there. So it's funny you made that comment. Uh, and finally... What's a piece of advice that you would give to somebody out there that, you know, like is an aspiring fellow creator and someone specifically um, looking to maybe make a career out of creating social social change as you are? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, like, uh, who am I to give anyone advice? I have been, I'm just, like we were saying earlier, I'm just an expert on myself and my experiences. I think when I think about what, um, let me do this this year. It was having, you know, worked on my mental health and well-being, um, like radical self-love and like understanding of myself and what my unique superpowers are and why um, why they were worthy of greatness. Uh, and then I think lastly, like, uh, especially as a woman, I spend a lot of time, I used to spend a lot of time doubting like intuition or like a feeling. And I had um, a woman named Carlin Purcell. She said, uh, when you have like a gut instinct telling you about something, it's like ancestral wisdom. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I really love the idea of feeling that like something bigger than me is feeling this moment and sussing it out for me and being like, yay or nay. Um, So leaning into that intuition that I think we all have, but maybe go like, 
we try to we go like that's not a real thing so we choose logic over bridging logic with intuition um because so much of this project was me leaning into like what feels like the right next decision even if logically I should have like started working in a hospital like it's just you know so that's what I would say it worked for me and maybe it worked for you or anyone listening amazing answer um Samantha Samantha you've been amazing uh, very well spoken I think people that listen to this will there's gonna be there's gonna be definitely a group of people that'll be inspired and uh, thank you for kind of being honest with kind of your journey as well um for somebody listening that you know maybe wants to reach out to you because they were just super inspired and just want to maybe volunteer or be part of your project or just get a piece of advice from you what's the best way for someone to connect with you I never used to spend this time on this much time on social media, but that's all that's all like I'm always there. So my personal Instagram is Sam Krish underscore and my Twitter, uh, or you can DM the on Canada project on Instagram or Twitter. I'm I live in the DMs. So <laughs> slide into our DM. You heard it, guys. Um, thank you again. And uh, for the audience listening, appreciate you guys as always. Uh, look forward to the next episode.